The following podcast is sponsored by Structure Tech. You know, we had asked for some feedback on the podcast a little while ago, and few people had written in and said, you know, it'd be really cool if you did some Q&A sessions where people just wrote in with questions. I thought, that's a great idea. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things houses and anything else that might be rattling around up inside our head. How y'all doing this week? Ruben, Tess, let's do a round-the-table check-in. Doing pretty well. Can't complain. Experiencing a little cool down at the time we're recording this after some ridiculously hot weather over the 4th of July. It's kind of dropped off a little, but I think it's going to get hot again. But it was was a nice little break. Yeah, it feels feels like it's a different season today, which I'll take that. That's Minnesota. Just wait a day. It'll change. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So good. Well, I'm glad to hear everybody's excited about the weather. At some point, we all turn into weather people. In our Bill, old did you, age. Did yeah. you go see fireworks up north at your cabin? We could not watch fireworks. We tried our best. The mosquitoes, all 58 million of them that were mm-hmm. swarming around my head, <laughs> would have killed any human being. I can't even imagine what it's like to be a deer walking around in the woods this time of the year. But yeah, we tried. It just was too, too intense sitting mm-hmm. on the dock fighting Bill. off the beasts. We tried to do the same thing. My daughter, Lucy, who's 10, she really wanted to watch fireworks and a bunch of people were shooting them off on the lake. But I mean, we got covered. I had long pants, a sweatshirt on. I had a blanket around me. I had that sweatshirt pulled down with the hood and a blanket up. So it was just my eyes, basically. And I got all deeded up on top of that. (laughs) At some point, I stopped focusing my eyes on the sky and I just looked in front of me. There must have been 30 mosquitoes within like a two cubic foot area directly (laughs) in front of my face. And I just freaked out and I said, Lucy, I can't do this. (laughs) She got eaten alive. Yeah. She is like covered in bandages from mosquito bites that she was itching right now. Oh, that's just brutal. Oh my gosh. Just imagine if we had any amount of normal precipitation or rainfall. I mean, I think most of our states in a drought category at this point. We've had very little rainfall this year. It didn't feel like it could get any worse, but I'm sure it could actually be much worse. Probably. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm sure everybody's excited to hear about mosquitoes and what it's like in Minnesota. (laughs) There's one more reason people are like, why do people, why do you guys live in Minnesota? I couldn't think of anywhere else I'd like to live. Honestly, I'm a homer. Can't, can't help it. I'm a homer. (laughs) So I swear it's really nice here. Some of the time. (laughs) Yeah, you yeah. know, as long as you go in before the sun sets, the mosquitoes aren't so bad. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly true. All right, well, let's let's kind of get to this week's episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the home inspection process. We had a listener submit a question to Ruben via the the email. Ruben, tell everybody yeah. what that email address is. It's podcast at structuretech.com. And, you know, we had asked for some feedback on the podcast a little while ago, and few people had written in and said, you know, it'd be really cool if you did some Q&A sessions where people just wrote in with questions. I thought, that's a great idea. So if you do have questions about your house, about home inspections, about any of the type of stuff that we regularly talk about, feel free to write in and 
we will try to cover it during a podcast. I don't want to promise too much because we've never done this. <laughs> so if we get one or two questions, we'll surely cover them. If we get a hundred, we're not going to cover all of them, but please write in if you got questions. Again, it's podcast at structuretech.com. Shoot us an email and we'll try to cover your questions on the, on the show. But this one came from another home inspector, Doug Cook. And I wasn't exactly sure if there was a question in there or not, but he was just talking about the flow process and how there's a lot of home inspectors who aren't quite certain about how the process of a home inspection should really be done from beginning to end. You go to so many conferences and you go to so much training and it's all focused on one specific topic like air conditioners or electrical or plumbing or things like that, but not a lot of detail on how you move from one component to the next and how a home inspection should go. And we're really here at Structure Tech, we are really opinionated on that. I mean, you say, (laughs) oh my goodness. Yes. There is a right way and a wrong way to do it. It's our way or the highway. No, I'm just kidding. We (laughs) We don't believe we're right, but we have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what works for us. So I thought it'd be fun to do a podcast where we cover a lot of that. We talk about what our process is and explain why we do things this way. And Tessa has spent a lot of time training the new people on our team on how all of this works. And she's surely the most familiar with all of this out of anybody on our team. So I thought, what a great person to have as one of our co-hosts. Well, thanks, Ruben. This process has not really changed much from when you trained me in like five years ago. It's still the same basic thing. I mean, we've, we've added things here and there and kind of shifted some things around, but for the most part, I think Structure Tech has developed this process over a long period of time, right? Yeah, yeah. This has been a long time coming. I think we first put this document together, I want to say maybe seven or eight years ago, just to start mm-hmm. getting a little bit more formal. As our business started growing, we started realizing we need to have this documented. We can't just mm-hmm. have it be, well, this is kind of how we do it. It needs to be detailed out. We spent a lot of time working on this and it's a living document. It, it yeah. changes. Uh, well, I think we're on a a regular pattern of updating this quarterly at this point. So everybody knows what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Those are fine tweaks though. You're looking at doing on a quarterly basis. Yeah. Little tweaks, you know, so this written down process that we have, I think it's really important because as we hire new people, we have the standard that we train them to. And as we continue to grow, it helps us maintain just consistency across the board with what our inspectors are doing and how they're doing it. And what the expectation is, what to document. And so in this document, not only does it just kind of say the the flow process through a house that you should take as you're inspecting, but what pictures are you're required to take. We use infrared cameras. So where you should take pictures of the infrared camera, where you need to take pictures for standard pictures in the report. And so it lays all that out. And I'm not going to get into that level of detail today, but just kind of, I think walking through our process will be a good thing. So the first thing that we've got is we've changed some things. We, we do a pre-inspection phone call with the client before the inspection now to kind of introduce ourselves. And typically we're working with, you know, home buyers. And so we'll give them a call for the inspector if we can get a hold of them and just introduce ourselves and say what the process is, you know, when they'll get the report, what it's going to look like and tell them when they should show up to the inspection. And we've talked about on this podcast before that because of 
all the challenges of last year with COVID, we changed our, our whole inspection process. We used to have clients show up at the beginning of the inspection and we encourage them to walk around uh, with us. And we would take that opportunity to explain what we were doing and teach them about the house. But now we've changed it. So they show up at the last hour. And so we've got the first part of that inspection to ourselves alone in the house. And so we kind of explain that to the client, explain to them when we want them to show up and what we'll explain to them when they get there. And ask if they have any concerns or questions. And that's probably the biggest thing is understanding what your client concerns are is huge. And we make sure that we talk to them about that when they show up on site, but getting down into the actual inspection process. First thing we do when we show up is take a quick walk around the outside of the house. And we make sure that we collect photos from every angle, every side. So there's going to be one in the front, one in the front left corner, front left side, back left corner, back, and so on, all the way around the house. And these are just kind of reference photos for us. And I'll tell you more than once, I've had to refer back to those reference photos because I missed something else, you know, when I was on site and when I get home, I'm reviewing these pictures and I have to look back at them. But the whole reason we're doing this quick walk around the outside is to just kind of gather some basic data on, you know, what condition does the roof look like it's in? What about the siding? What about the deck? And then think big picture. If anybody is... Um, heard Ruben teach at the ASHI conference, Inspection World. Ruben, you've taught the uh, moisture intrusion, water intrusion class a few times there. And, you know, thinking, where does the water go? Where am I going to focus my attention when I am up close with this house, right? Are there roof lines that, you know, are indicative of water dumping in a certain location right next to the foundation? Well, that's where I'm going to focus my attention. And so that first walk around is really just gathering gathering data. Yeah. Like you said, it's really helpful to have those to refer back to. And something we tell everybody is when you're taking those photos, make sure you're standing far back enough. So you have the whole slope of the roof in every picture. If you stand too close to the house, you're not going to get that. I can't tell you how many times I go back and I say, Oh, wait, did that, did this house have roof vents? Did I forget to look for vents? <laughs> something like that. Or not something. you. I, I've been scared before, you know, and it's nice to have those photos showing the entire slope of every section of the roof. So stand far back enough. And like you said, Tess, mm -hmm. it helps you to think about where all of the water is going, taking that macro approach, mm -hmm. looking at it from a distance. And that's also a good time to figure out how you're going to attack the roof. Yes. How are you going to get up there? I've made the mistake early on in my career many times where I just maybe take a tour of the inside of the house, look at everything. And then I'd head right back out to the front door and I'd get right up on the roof and I might not take the best place. I, I might get up mm -hmm. on a fairly steep slope or do something that was kind of difficult. And then by the time I get to the backyard, I see, oh, there's a deck and I could have leaned my ladder on a very easy area of the roof to get on. It would have been a piece of cake if I had just taken the time to take a quick walk around the mm -hmm. house at the very beginning. So lots of reasons for doing this. Ruben, how much time has that saved you in your process of up and down stairs and in and out and looking for, you know, as you're connecting the dots? Because I know you, you always have this thing where you're like, look for the worst place first and focus on that. Yeah. So when you're walking around the outside of the house, and let's just say it's a three-story house at the back, right? It's a normal two-story house, but then there's a walkout basement or something like that. What are you trying to, to see 30 yards from the back of the house as you're trying to get that entire structure in one camera shot? In short, it's what you just said. It's focusing on the areas that are going to fail first. I'm thinking about the worst areas. I'm thinking about the areas where water is concentrated the most. And I kind of develop my plan of attack that way and figure out where I'm going to focus my efforts the most. And if those areas where all the water is concentrated 
are perfectly fine and there's no problems, I'm not going to be as picky about all the rest of the house. Gotcha. Is there something that you'll key in? Say the roof has, it's got a good overhang, it's got good gutters, it doesn't have any weird drainage planes. Is, is there anything that might stick out to you on this just quick reveal? Uh, besides all the stuff that you just said doesn't exist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, groundwater management too, looking at where all the groundwater goes and make sure, making sure that it all has a good path to get away from the house. Sure. That's huge. Do you worry about windows? Uh, I well, mean, absolutely. Like- Probably the worst window on any house is when you have a, a bay window where it sticks out. It's usually the window right at the front of the house and it sticks way out and it doesn't have any overhang protection. Those are always the ones that rot first. And I mean, I I swear, I drive by houses. And when I see those bay windows, I just, I kind of stare at them for a minute as I'm driving (laughs) by looking for rot. I just did that the other day and saw a window that was just like literally falling apart Mm -hmm. at the bottom. And I just went, check. Yep. Okay. (laughs) That fits the narrative. (laughs) It's exactly what we expect to see with these style of windows. So yeah, those are the worst. Okay. All right. So you you get down on the outside. Now, where are you going to next? Well, so that outside is just a quick walk around really, because we're just gathering kind of our basic photos and, and taking in just this kind of macro level view of everything quickly. And so then we go inside the house and we do kind of the same thing on the inside. We wake up the house by turning on all the lights, turning all the fans, all the appliances that vent to the outside, bath fans, kitchen fans, washers, dryers, get everything going. We wake up the house. The reason we do this is we want to put the max load on the electrical system and just to make sure everything is actually working the way that it should. Is so, that a Rubenism? Wake up the house? Wake up the house. I think that is. Is that a Ruben? No, that's, that's yours, Tessa. I didn't come up with that one. Huh. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, that can be a Tussaism for today, but wake up the house. So we do that from the top down generally. And another thing too, I think it's helpful is just getting a quick walkthrough is seeing, okay, how many bedrooms do I have? How many bathrooms do I have? Where are the bath fans located? Okay. There's two bathrooms upstairs. So when I'm outside and I'm on the roof, I want to look for two bath fan dampers, right? Or maybe going out the gable ends and just kind of getting a feel for where rooms are located, where you should be expecting to see vents and and all of that. So we work our way all the way from the top to the bottom and usually end up, we've got basements here in Minnesota. For those of you that don't, you're lucky, but basements usually have the most stuff to look at in them. All the mechanicals are located down there. Although, although Tess, I'd say for people who have crawl spaces, they'd say- I agree with that. Thank you. I was leaving out the whole swath of the country that has crawl spaces. Yeah. I wouldn't trade my place with you guys, but yeah. anyways, we take an inventory of the basement, you know, take a look at all the mechanicals, see what we're dealing with, take pictures of serial numbers, data plates, get that entered in. A lot of times we'll locate the main water supply shut off, the gas shut off. Now, Tess, you said like take pictures of serial numbers and get it entered in. Just for clarification. Yeah. Our software. Yeah. We don't, we don't, actually record serial numbers and all of that. We just take pictures of all of it. So we have records so we can refer Mm -hmm. back to it later on if we need to, but Mm -hmm. it's not like that's, I I don't feel like that's important information that we need to include in our inspection reports. We just have it if we need to go back to it. 
Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. We do look up the age of appliances though. So, you know, we take down the data plates and then put the age of these appliances in the report. So and why do we do that? Well, it's required. We follow the ASHI standards of practice and it does require that we report on an appliances approaching the end of its expected serviceable life to report on that. So we want to make sure that we're documenting that especially when you live in Minnesota and you need a furnace nine months out of the year, you want to know if you're buying one that's 20 years old. That's uh, old Minnesota. Old. Now in this yeah. new uh, cycle, it's, it's only four months out of the year. There we go. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're moving towards. So this is, again, this is just kind of a, our you know initial walkthrough. We're not doing a super, super detailed inspection of everything at this point. We're just getting things going, making sure everything's working, collecting data, putting it into a report writing software, and taking lots of pictures of things. We also do some infrared pictures this time too. And some inspectors also, I should add at this point in time, they will test the mechanical systems. Now, this is, we've kind of got uh, some flexibility in our flow process where you can wait and do that at the end of this, this inspection when you get down to the basement at the very end, or you can do it here while you're kind of doing your initial walkthrough. So some inspectors will kick up the heat and get the furnace going when they walk in the house. And so that by the time they get down to the basement, it's been running for 10, 15 minutes and they can test the furnace. We do a carbon monoxide test flue gas, and we also do a temperature rise test. So we'll do that. And if we're testing the AC, they can test the AC at that time too. So, you know, there's a bunch of stuff you just covered that I want to dig into a little bit more. You know, as I realized, we were going to cover flow process today, but we're going to have to rename this like part one of flow process. This is going to be a multi-part podcast because there's so much here to dig into. (laughs) And I I want to dig into it because this is fun stuff. One of the items you talked about waking up the house, I think you mentioned turning the lights on, Mm -hmm. but a big part of the reason we do that, I mean, it makes the house more inviting for anybody else coming along. We can see things better just having more light. And Mm -hmm. that's our time to make sure that every light in the house is working. You're consciously going around, turning on Mm -hmm. every light, every under counter light in the kitchen, everything. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's your checks and balances right there. If anything's not working, we take a picture of it right at that time. And we put Mm -hmm. it right in our report immediately. I mean, we're not officially inspecting stuff just yet, but that's where we catch lights that aren't working. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to hit on that. And then also you talked about the two tests we do for furnaces. We do the carbon monoxide test. I know people are going to ask, so let's just throw out there what we use. We use a Testo for our yeah. food gas analysis. Yeah, the, the Testo 310. Yeah. We've used a lot of different carbon monoxide. What, what is the term? Gas analyzers. Gas analyzers. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We used a lot of flue gas analyzers and the Testos have definitely been the most reliable for us. We have liked those. Mm -hmm. And then for the temperature rise, I want to dig into that for a quick second. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not doing any technical testing on a furnace, I would encourage any home inspector out there to do a temp rise check. I think it's one of the quickest, easiest, and most telling checks that you can do on a furnace. Mm-hmm. get a good idea of the health of it just to make sure that it's not severely oversized because all of the furnaces, if you look inside, they've got a data plate and it'll tell you what the temp rise should be. Let's say the air coming in is 70 degrees. It might say a max temp rise of 60 degrees. It means if it's 70 coming in, it needs to be no higher than 130 coming out. I mean, just a super quick and dirty test is put your hand on the upper plenum 
typically at the backside of the furnace. And if it's too hot for you to hold your hand there, if it starts to get uncomfortable, it's there's probably a problem with that furnace. And the kind of the pain threshold where it starts to starts to be uncomfortable is right around 140 degrees. Obviously, it's gonna differ from person to person, but if it if you put your hand on there and it hurts, you probably have a problem. And it can be a lot of different things causing that. You might have a really dirty furnace filter. It might be as simple as that. Your duct size might be restricted. Somebody may have gone around and blocked a bunch of the return vents. They may have closed a bunch of the supply vents. You may have a furnace that's oversized, maybe severely oversized. We've seen that many times. And the problem there is that your furnace is gonna run for a very short period of time. It's gonna heat up the house really quickly. And then the furnace is gonna shut off. And and all of the surfaces in your home don't have time to really heat up. So your house warms up quickly and then your furnace shuts off, your house cools down quickly and your furnace is constantly cycling. Or an even worse situation is where your furnace kicks on, it gets way too hot, hotter than it's even designed to be. And then it shuts off because it has a high limit switch, a safety switch that actually just shuts it off for safety. And that's a problem too. So doing a temp rise check can alert you to a lot of different potential problems. And this is one of those black and white things where it says right on the data plate, the max temperature rise. So it's black and white. It's not like you can say, you know, I'm being a nitpicky home inspector. No, it's 160 degrees coming out of this register at the top. This is way too hot. And I don't know what I'm saying, you guys are both (laughs) laughing at me. (laughs) Is, is that part of the, do you do that all at this moment? Do you start digging in or are you just like doing a quick swab of and, and moving on? You're just, are you well, data collecting at this point or are you getting into full on furnace testing mode? All right. We're probably getting ahead of ourselves. Maybe we'll have to repeat all this again later, but <laughs> I love talking well, about it. it I, you know, like you said, Ruben, I think the temperature rise is one of the most telling tests you can do on a furnace to know if it's working properly or not. And it doesn't take long. It's like you stick your thermometer in and you're done in like a minute. Yeah. So it's a smart thing to do. And obviously we're passionate about it here at Structure Tech. (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) We all do it. All right. I totally hijacked this. (laughs) You know, it's good. Good information you're sharing. We might have lost some homeowners, but I bet all the inspectors are listening to this and probably feel passionately one way or the other on this subject too. And you know what? Just to touch on that test, we kind of did that check with with our audience asking, you know, what if we did make this more home inspector focused? And a lot of people said, I got no problem with that. Just Uh let me know what the show is at the beginning. And if we talk about, hey, this is home inspector focus flow process, the people, the homeowners who aren't interested, they'll tune out. That's okay. They're still going to touch the back of their furnace uh, ductwork. (laughs) I'm telling you. (laughs) Look up their temp rise on their data tag on the inside of their furnace. I wanted to ask this question earlier, but now is as good a time as any. How much of this process is directly related to pain from a pocketbook? And how much is was just like good thoughtful planning on the part of somebody like yourself, Ruben, who is really organized and sees life through organization? You know, I'd say probably about 50-50. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of pain. That that's that's what I'm saying. Is a lot of these things have developed out of hits to our pocketbook, things where we have paid out on stuff because we missed something that we could have easily caught had we just spent another 30 seconds to minute mm-hmm. doing one extra step. 
Can you take a minute and just touch on this top-down concept too? Because I know that's near and dear to your heart. You believe a house should be inspected from the top down at both the exterior and the interior. Now, why is that? That's the way gravity works. That's where stuff flows. We're testing a lot of, I mean, mostly it's plumbing based. We we run a lot of water during our home inspections, every tub, sink, shower, all that stuff. And when that stuff leaks, I mean, if you're starting at the bottom, how are you going to find it unless you inspect everything twice? <laughs> it, it just makes a lot more sense to start at the top, work your way down and carefully inspect all the ceilings when you're below all those plumbing fixtures you just got done testing and use your infrared camera too. We're not just looking for stains. We're looking for temperature differences in the ceiling below the plumbing fixtures. It's a huge reason that we use infrared cameras during every home inspection. Do you do it before and after? I don't know what's in our P&P today. I, I don't think <laughs> I ever did it before and after. I think we started getting into that at the time where we were doing flood testing mm-hmm. on showers where we'd, we would use a dam and we would fill tiled showers up with about one to two inches of water. And a lot of those would leak. So we started trying to be a little bit more proactive about protecting ourselves to document pre-existing leaks. So if, if a ceiling was leaking, you couldn't say, well, it's our fault that that happened. So we started scanning below all tiled showers before we ever tested them, but we've changed our process. We don't do that flood test anymore because so many showers fail. And we, we started getting into trouble probably about five years ago where we had people saying, we don't even want you coming into our listings. Structure tech is not allowed to inspect our listings because you're damaging houses. And it, we had to quit doing it. It just, uh, <laughs> we're the only ones doing it. If there was licensing and there was some type of process or procedure in place that mandated it, that'd be one thing, but that's not the case here in Minnesota. So what do you, what do you use your shower dam for now? I don't even know where it is, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you, maybe you repurposed it for something. How you know, long is this initial turning everything on waking up the house session going to take? Well, it depends. That's a great question. It depends on obviously the size of the house, the condition of the house. I think a lot of inspectors, now that we're writing a report on site during the inspection, are spending about an hour on the initial quick walk around the outside and going back inside, turning everything on, entering in some of the basic data on types of mechanical systems, ages, starting the appliances, they're spending about, I'd say, 45 minutes to an hour on that, typically. I, I'll tell you, though, when before we switched to Spectora, when we were using a software, we would go back home and write. This initial process was a little bit faster, you know, because we would just go through, snap some pictures, keep walking. Yeah. So it has... You answered that test because I was going to say 15 minutes. But... Yeah, I yeah, and it, and it would, Ruben. You would just, you know, you'd speed right through this. But now it takes a little bit longer, especially if you're going to be doing the uh, mechanical testing kind of at this initial walkthrough phase. So yeah, okay. and, and actually one thing I forgot to add too on just this quick walkthrough, it's, it's a good time too to notice where any attic accesses are located. And if you've got crawl spaces, you know, how you can get into those too. Just taking inventory of all that. And oh. that ties into just on your initial walkthrough on the outside too. Like, does it look like this house has, is going to have two separate attics? Does it look like there could be a crawl space? When I get in the basement, I'm going to look for that. When I get upstairs, I'm going to look for that. And just getting prepared so that when you do come back and when you are inspecting those areas, you know where to go, how to get there and what ladder you need. <laughs> yes. 
That feels a bit like a forensics experiment or exercise, not experiment. So what clues are you looking for that tell you, oh, there's probably two attic accesses or there's probably a crawl space? Because sometimes if you're moving at a good pace, you might overlook something. So what what's tipping you off to that? I would say just on your initial walk around the house, looking at the structure, do you have roof lines at different heights? Do you have sloped areas where you're going to have side attics and upper attics? Do you have, it looks like, you know, maybe additions that were put on where there could be a crawl space under an addition. So that's something that kind of comes with just the initial exterior walk around and experience. I don't know, Ruben, do you have anything to add to that? It's what you said, Tess. I mean, it's looking at different areas where you have a roof at this height and then a roof at a much lower height and they don't Mm -hmm. appear to be connected. You're going to have two attics and so huge on the crawl spaces. That is a that is a big area where I've read a lot of cases about home inspectors being sued for missing crawl spaces. In fact, I saw an episode of, uh, if you guys remember, it was, it was Homes on Homes. It was Mike Holmes had a TV show for a while where they were doing home inspections. Mm-hmm. And there was one episode I remember watching where they came in and just, I mean, boy, they had a lot to say about how incompetent this home inspector was because he <laughs> missed a crawl space. And it was like, there was no access to it. I mean, there was no access panel. There was nothing in the floor. There was no way to get at it. Hmm. It was just a little addition they had put on the side of the house. And unless you're consciously thinking about this, Mm -hmm. you're not going to realize that, Hey, there's an area of this house here that I'm not inspecting. And it's so important to be aware of those spaces and to document it in your report and say, Hey, there's a crawl space here. There's no access provided. And I could not inspect it. It, Mm -hmm. I mean, that needs to go in every inspection report if it exists. Mm -hmm. Well, there'd never be anything wrong in that situation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I think one of the things that I think is a real challenge for people that are training to become home inspectors is, you know, we bring them in, show them this flow process, we teach them all the technical information about, okay, how to identify proper, you know, different siding types and, and how to test a furnace and what to document inside an attic. And it's really easy to get caught up in the details of things and just look for defects and look for maintenance items and safety issues. And it's almost like kind of this checklist in in your head, you know, all this information you need to to sift through and document, but it's really easy to forget to just take a step back and look at the house through a, a, you know, a wider lens and to look at the big picture, right? And so that's what this whole initial part of our flow process is doing is you're taking a walk around the outside, you're looking at the big picture, you're thinking, where does the water go? What type of siding do I have? Do I have good grading? Do I have gutters? Right? What does the deck look like? All these big picture things. And then you're going through the inside and you're thinking, oh, wow, I've got a crawl space over here. And I've got, you know, additions over here. Maybe there's potential comfort issues. Maybe there's ductwork in an attic space. You know, you're noticing all these big picture things so that when you go through later with a fine tooth comb, you can kind of put the little pieces together, but you you don't want to miss the forest through the trees. Amen. Ruben, do you think a majority of home inspectors really slow down at the beginning to take in this information and try to understand the story that they're going to be hearing from this house? I don't want to speculate, Bill. I, I mean, my gut tells me there's a lot of home inspectors who don't do any of this, especially if you haven't had the benefit of training under someone who has done this for a long time and made a ridiculous amount of mistakes. How would you know to do any of this stuff? Mm -hmm. Right. But I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Well, clearly, I mean, we just began scratching the surface on the process and it, we burned through, I don't know what, 30, 35 minutes of, of just set up for home inspection. And that's because yeah. Ruben had to go deep on a furnace. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm the worst. I know. <laughs> hey, Ruben, over here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, we're going to chop this up. So we're going to, we're going to do a couple episodes for sure, maybe up to three on this whole process. And I don't mean to, you know, predict a very boring future, but for those people who are interested in this, this is really important because, you know, that top-down approach is I've seen firsthand a couple times where you walk in a house and everything looks good. And then you go to the basement to do your mechanical work. And there's a massive puddle of water near a chimney stack or something and you're like wow i'm I'm glad i was here to see that happen because we could have gotten in trouble had we not been so lucky those kinds of things it's sometimes better to be lucky than good but a good process is going to keep you out of trouble probably 99 percent of the time so Mm -hmm. stick to the process okay so this is episode one of well ruben probably five or six episodes if we let you start talking about all the technical we're going to have to have you run these meetings, Bill, and I'm going to give you a <laughs> mute button and you can just me next time and we'll, uh, we'll continue on. <laughs> All right. Well, you've been listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich. That is Tessa Murray and Professor Ruben Saltzman on the other side. And uh, we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com.